My name is Heidi and I love stories. Funny stories and sad stories and what on earth just happened stories. Well, as it turns out, the Bible is full of them. And after two decades in Sunday school, plus a master's in English, I'm here to tell them to you. Get ready. This is Messy Scripture. Out in the hill country of Ephraim, there lived a man with two wives. His first wife's name was Hannah and the other, Peninnah. Peninnah had kids and Hannah didn't. Despite that, their husband definitely favored Hannah. She was the favorite. However, it did help that Peninnah had actual, you know, children, because that was important at this time. And every year, the whole family would go over to Shiloh, which is where the tabernacle was, and they would worship God. Now, at that time, the high priest was Eli, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were serving as the priests. This is going to be an important detail later, but for context, Hophni, Phinehas, sons of Eli, Eli high priest, Hophni, Phinehas, are priests. And when the family would go sacrifice, like, the husband, whose name, by the way, was Elkanah, he would give, like, extra food to Hannah because he wanted to comfort her since, you know, God wasn't letting her get pregnant. But uh, the other wife, Peninnah, would just, like, torment Hannah all the time, and it went on like this every year, year after year, until Hannah was just absolutely miserable. It got to the point that Hannah didn't want to eat or anything, and her husband was like, don't you love me more than having ten sons? Like, do you love me? Can you please love me? And in Shiloh, it only got worse. So one day, Hannah goes to the tabernacle by herself and begins to pray. She's in distress, she's hurting, she's grieving, and she begs God to give her a son. One son. And if he does, Hannah will dedicate this son to the service of the Lord, and I quote, no razor will touch his head, which is a sign of that vow. Now what Eli sees is not a woman praying and pouring out her heart before the Lord. What he sees is a woman whose mouth is moving, but there's no sound coming out, and he assumes that she's drunk, and that she's just like passed out outside the tabernacle. It's easy to give Eli a bad rap for misunderstanding Hannah's intentions, but I think it's a more, this was something Eli would have probably seen before. A drunken woman just mumbling at the side of a tent. Eli calls her out and is like, when are you going to stop drinking? You should put that away. And Hannah answers like, no, I'm not drunk. I'm in grief. My heart is burdened. And I've been praying to God, pouring out my whole heart. And Eli feels real embarrassed. So he's like, whatever it was that you prayed, May God answer it. Hannah took this as a great sign, and she went away happy, finally. And the next day, the whole family returned from Shiloh, and Hannah, lo and behold, got pregnant. She gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, which sounds very much like the Hebrew from heard of God, because God heard her prayer. Hannah stayed home from Shiloh for the next several years, while Elkanah, her husband, went to worship, because she had pledged Samuel to the service of God all the days of his life, and basically just was waiting to wean him. However, when the time came that Samuel was weaned, i.e. not breastfeeding and eating solid food, Hannah brought Samuel with her to the tabernacle and presented him to Eli along with a sacrifice and made it clear that she was the woman that Eli had seen a few years back. Not very many. God had granted her request. She had a son. The request had been for a child and there he was and she was fulfilling her end. She kept her promise and gave her son Samuel to the service of God, and what better way to do that than to present him to the high priest as a servant? If you have a chance, Hannah also prays an absolutely beautiful and poetic prayer here that I can't do justice in a storytelling podcast. What's important is that she does in fact leave Samuel behind. She leaves him at the tabernacle. However, every year when her family returns to the tabernacle, she brings Samuel a small robe that she's made him, And Eli blessed her and said that because she had given Samuel to the service of God, may God bless her with more children. 
and God did. Elkanah and Hannah had five children beyond Samuel together, three sons and two daughters. However, Samuel continued to live at the tabernacle, ministering before God under Eli the priest. It's a good thing that Samuel was at the tabernacle because Hophni and Phinehas were absolutely useless. Not only were they useless, they were bad. And the word got back to Eli that they were stealing sacrifice meat, that they were sleeping with the women who served at the entrance of the tent. And he tried to tell them to stop. He's like, what are you doing? You know this is bad. and You know this isn't what you're supposed to be doing. But they didn't listen. Their father was very old. And God had already decided he'd had enough of Hophni and Phinehas's crap. Eli's rebuke was so ineffective that, as it turns out, a prophet of God came to Eli and told him flat out that God rejected his family, that because Eli had not controlled his sons because he had let things get so out of hand, he was going to take away the priesthood from Eli and his family. And there would, in fact, be a sign, as there always is a sign, that this was happening by God and not just in the turn of events. Both Hophni and Phinehas would die in the same day. And a different priest would be raised up who would serve God faithfully. So Hophni and Phinehas are off being useless, sleeping with the women who are supposed to be helping at the temple, and also totally stealing the best part of the meat from the sacrifices. And Samuel is growing in age and in stature and in favor. He's the handsome, smart, cool one. And Hophni and Phinehas are the useless scrubs. And Eli has gotten word from God, through a prophet, that things are about to end. Some time passes, and this word is just kind of sitting in Eli's heart because as it turns out, God's not talking very much at this point in Israel's history. This is during the time of the judges and things have not been great if you've been listening to messy scripture for any length of time. And so Eli is just kind of forced to wait. However, Eli, who is now old and blind, goes to bed one night and Samuel is sleeping in the tabernacle with or near the Ark of God, and he hears a voice call his name. So he gets up and goes to Eli and is like, okay, what did you need? And Eli's like, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. So Samuel trundles himself back off to sleep, tup, 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 goes and lays down, and again he hears his name, Samuel. So Samuel gets up and goes to Eli and is like, you called me? Eli responds, no, I didn't, go to bed. Samuel goes back to bed. Once again, he hears a voice, Samuel. And Samuel gets up and goes to Eli, and Eli kind of, at this point, puts two and two together and is like, I think God might be calling you. So here's what you do. Go lay back down, and if you hear the voice a fourth time, answer, speak, your servant is listening. You can tell that Eli was not prepared for this because it took him three times, but at least Samuel follows directions. Because when he lays down and hears again, Samuel, Samuel. He answers exactly like Eli told him. Speak, your servant's listening. And God has some things to say. God tells Samuel that he has every intention and is in fact going to fulfill everything that he prophesied against Eli. That their family that had been chosen to serve before the Lord had abused that privilege, had taken advantage of the people, and God was not going to let it sit. In fact, he says that it's going to happen so effectively, so fast, in one day, that the ears of everyone who hears what's happened to Eli's family will tingle, that there is no sacrifice to make up for Eli's sin. There is no atonement to be had. The time for waiting is over. Samuel hears this and goes back to sleep, but in the morning, Eli asks him what God had to say. And Samuel's reluctant to tell him, but Eli finally drags it out of him. And when he hears that God is still on the warpath against him, Eli responds with, It's God. Let him do what he thinks is best. 
And word gets out that Samuel is a prophet, that God is speaking again to someone at Shiloh. And the text says that God let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. But basically, Samuel was heard and the people listened. A little while later, Israel and the Philistines were at war. Surprise, the Philistines are back. And Israel lost their first battle pretty badly. They thought to themselves that they had a better chance of winning if they did what turns out to be the absolutely dumbest thing possible. They were going to take the Ark of the Covenant, you know, the gold box with the tablets and Aaron's staff and the manna inside. Yeah, that Ark. They were going to take it away from its resting place at the tabernacle and bring it with them to battle because that would freaking help. Hophni and Phinehas went with the Ark, you know, to babysit it, I guess, because they weren't soldiers, they were priests. And... The Philistines thought that a god had come into the camp because of how excited the Hebrews were when they actually, you know, brought the ark into the encampment. That also gave the Philistines a lot more motivation to whoop their butts, and the Hebrews lost badly. In fact, a Benjaminite had to run back to Shiloh to give the report to Eli. Eli was sitting on top of the gate, completely blind, but wanting to hear word because he was so anxious about the Ark having been taken. Remember how he couldn't control his sons? Yeah, you would think the high priest could put a stop to this nonsense, but he could not. Well, the Benjaminite comes up and he tells Eli that both of his sons have been killed and the Ark has been captured by the Philistines. And Eli knows that this is the fulfillment of God's word against him. He is in so much shock and so much grief that he tumbles backward and falls from the gate, breaking his neck. He was quite heavy, man. And Eli dies. The family of Eli, all three of the priests currently serving, the high priest and both of his sons, die in a single day, and the ark is in the hands of the Philistines. Phineas's wife was pregnant at the time, and when she heard the news, she went into labor. The son she bore she named Ichabod, because the glory of God had departed from Israel, and was in the hands of the Philistines. However, the Philistines having the Ark is not necessarily going great for them. The first place they take it is a place called Ashdod, which has the Temple of Dagon, their primary god, and they put the Ark in front of Dagon. The next day, when they went to check on the Temple of Dagon, the statue had fallen down, face down, in front of the Ark. So they picked it back up, and they were like, oh, that's weird. And they fixed Dagon, but the next day, once again, Dagon had fallen face down before the Ark of God, and... The head and the hands had fallen off and were, like, rolled onto the threshold. So, basically, just his torso was left. And that was not a good look for the Philistines' god. Also, Philistine priests made a new tradition that they would not step on the threshold because that's where Dagon's head and hands had fallen. And they were like, uh, we shouldn't uh, necessarily keep this here because as much as our god is falling over and that's a bad look, the people are breaking out in tumors. So they sent the Ark from Ashdod to Gath, and Gath was like, uh, we are also being afflicted. God is not taking things lightly, and we should not have his ark. So they sent it from Gath to Ekron, and as soon as the people of Ekron heard that they were about to get the ark, they were like, <laughs> our own people are trying to kill us, because word had gotten out that the ark of the covenant, which had the presence of God, was causing serious problems. Falling gods, tumors everywhere, afflictions galore. The Philistine lords got together with their diviners and were like, so what are we supposed to do with this ark? And the diviners are like, we should send it back to its own country, but we shouldn't send it empty handed. We should send it with a guilt offering. And they're like, what would that be? And they're like, hmm, five golden tumors and five golden mice, the two primary plagues that God had sent against the Philistines while they had the ark, which, by the way, they had for seven months. So this is kind of a problem for them and they're ready to go. Now, they do want to confirm that the problems they're having are actually caused by the Ark. So this is the plan. They're going to take two milk cows and hitch them to a cart. 
at least one of which has never been yoked before, and they are going to separate their calves from them. Now, cows and their calves are not easy to separate, but this is what they were trying to do. They were going to find out if the cows went back toward Israel or went back toward their calves. If they went back toward their calves, they would know that all of the problems that the Philistines were having were just coincidence. But if the milk cows went straight toward Israel, they would know that God had caused all of the afflictions because they had taken the ark from its resting place and from where it belonged. Well, they hitched up the cows and lo and behold, they walked straight toward Beth Shemesh. It's a fun word to say, Beth Shemesh, which is uh, where they were thinking the ark would go to. And so the Philistines went back to Gath and went home. Now it came to rest in the field of a man named Joshua who lived in Beth Shemesh. It was during the wheat harvest, so a lot of people were out. And there was a big rock nearby where the cows stopped. So they chopped up the wood of the cart and sacrificed the cows and made a burnt offering to God. However, just because these guys are Levites, some of them, and just because they're Israelites doesn't mean that they could just, you know, play lax with the rules. Seventy Israelites did, in fact, die because they looked at the Ark of God and they did the wrong thing with it. And so they were kind of worried about the situation. So then the men of Beth Shemesh are like, we don't want to die. No one can stand up in front of the Ark. So they sent for people from Kirith Jerem and were like, the Philistines returned the Ark. Please take it with you. So they came and took it with them. And it ended up with a man named Abinadab and his son Eliezer was in charge of the Ark of God for like 20 years. So these people have no idea what they're doing. It had gotten returned from the Philistines within seven months, but it didn't get returned to the tabernacle for another 20 years. During that time, everyone was grieving their sins before God and Samuel summoned all of the people of Israel and was like, if you're serious about this, you need to get rid of your foreign gods, get rid of the Asherah poles, and we are going to return to the service of God, and he is going to deliver us from the hands of the Philistines. So all of Israel gathered at a place called Mizpah, and they confessed that they had sinned against God, and Samuel's like, yeah, you got there. The Philistines heard that the people were gathering at Mizpah and decided to attack. Now, Samuel was not going to let this stand. He held the line and offered a burnt sacrifice, in fact, a whole burnt offering of a nursing lamb. And as he was offering the sacrifices, the Philistines started to attack, and God sent a huge thunderstorm that confused the Philistines to the point that Israel was able to rout them. And from that day, the Philistines were no longer a substantial problem for Israel. During all of the days of Samuel, the Philistines did not invade Israel's territory, and in fact, places that had been taken by the Philistines from Israel were restored to them through, you know, war. It worked out for them. And Samuel became what turned out to be the last judge of Israel. He would go on an annual cycle, Bethel, Gilgal, Mizpah, Ramah, just in a circle every year, judging Israel in those four places, and he was a prophet before God. Within a very brief span of time, I mean, within Samuel's lifetime for certain, the priesthood has been cleansed of one of the families that just absolutely wrecked it, Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas, and a true prophet of God has been raised up for the first time in a very long time, Samuel. However, as we'll discover next episode, that's not enough for Israel. They're going to make a demand. One that betrays not only Samuel, but God. Israel wants a king.